Before we begin the podcast, I'd like to acknowledge that I'm recording on stolen and unseeded Gadigal lands. Welcome back to That's Hot, the podcast helping you get even hotter than you already are by giving you all of the information that you need to help the world get cooler. I'm Tegan. And I'm Lizzie. <sighs> Today's episode is our first for 2023. Happy New Year, despite the fact it's Feb and we've really slapped off. <laughs> We're going to spend this episode catching up, discussing some existential questions that we've been talking about over our summer period. And yeah, just like getting back into our climate chats. Yeah, so Tegan and I have basically spent the summer catching up with all sorts of excellent, very interesting climate people and as a result, sending each other just like a ton of voice notes. So we were like, wow, <laughs> our voice notes are so interesting. We have so many great thoughts. <laughs> the people need to hear this. So this is a very self-indulgent episode. We just basically felt that we've been having some really interesting conversations with a whole lot of people in the climate space and between ourselves. And we wanted to kind of share that on the pod before we jump into the awesome, awesome content that we've got planned for the rest of the season. I hope you guys find us as interesting as we find ourselves. This is probably a real test of our core podcasting <laughs> skills, but I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, me too. Cool. Let's get into it. That's hot. That's hot. That's hot. That's hot. That's hot. That's hot. That's so hot. Yeah. So we wanted to sort of kick things off. There was an article that was going around sort of around the new year that I'd seen shared from a few people. Um, and it was an article by Rebecca Solnit that talked about why we need new stories on climate. I'm just going to read out a couple of quotes from it. So one was, she says, the visionary organizer, Adrian Marie Brown, wrote not long ago that there is an element of science fiction in climate action. We are shaping the future we long for and have not yet experienced. I believe that we are in an imagination battle. So I think what the article talked about a heap was that we've sort of had this existing story of climate change where you know, there's climate deniers, there's climate activists, and that that story is actually starting to shift. It's less about this kind of people that don't believe the science and people that do, because the reality is we've kind of hit a critical mass of people that believe climate. And the issue that we're now kind of running into is that the stories that we are telling, particularly as people in the climate movement, are often incredibly negative. And part of that is because the science is bloody terrifying and the most likely outcomes for our planet are possibly quite negative, mm. but that as a movement, it's really important that people feel as though they're kind of fighting for something. And therefore, the way we tell stories, whether that's through media, whether that's between ourselves about what the sort of future look like is super important. So yeah, taking curious to get your thoughts. I know like reading this article, I, I definitely resonated with it. I guess like you and I both have a very marketing based background, marketing communications. Like this is something that I think about a lot, I guess, being in that intersection between like actively being able to communicate to a larger audience and then bringing that together. Like how can you tell climate stories in a really good way? So I thought this was an incredible article, which we will link in our show notes as well so that everyone can read. It is a long one, but definitely recommend it's interesting because, like you said, the most active voices in the climate change space are like climate deniers or I guess climate scientists that are like, they're on different ends of the spectrum. And I feel like for a really, really long time, the climate deniers have been so good at like spinning stories that 
it's so hard to not listen to them. It's kind of the base for like the most conversation that we have around climate, which Mm. I'm so excited that there's, I guess, momentum in terms of shifting what the conversation looks like. But at the same time, as more and more people talk positively about the climate or are trying to like spin the story of their positive impact, like I guess this is where we're reaching more of that problem with greenwashing and stuff. I guess like people Mm. don't necessarily have like the credibility to share things or they may be like embellishing their stories you just, you just don't really know like I guess it's yeah. it's going to be really interesting to see how it all plays out in terms of like trying to create stories I think that's such a good point because I think one of the reasons that people do get really doom and gloom about the state of the climate and the fact that it's all going to be bad is because things we do see this the positive stories we do see people telling feel really disingenuous like often mm. it's, a, it's a company being like yeah, we're doing this great green thing for the climate or it's yeah, a exactly. government saying the right thing and still approving, you know, new fossil fuel mining mm. projects. And so I think, you know, particularly as young people, it's really easy to feel really cynical that the positive things you're hearing aren't actually positive. And when that happens over and over again, you kind of start to believe that there is no positive stories out there and that there is no kind of pathway. Like what does a future even look like where we address this problem? Is that even possible what would it take to get there? I think I think a lot of us, I don't know, I certainly feel like this at times, but I'm really conscious of trying to maintain, I guess, an internal belief that there mm. is a better future we can create. But I totally understand why so many people kind of feel tied to that doom and gloom. What I kind of think as like climate communicators is that I think it's now our goal is no longer to just convince people that the science is real. Like we've pretty much done that. It's still important to arm people with, you know, more information that they can really take into conversations to really add a heap of value. But it's more about how do we create a message that actually inspires people to take action that actually outlines a path forward that is exciting. And I think whatever you think about the sort of overall political position of, you know, the Teal Independence and people like that last year, they did a really good job of creating a really positive climate story. You know, it's good for the economy, it's good for jobs. I think that's why it really resonated. The messaging was so clear and that's what you need, right? Like climate change is like an overwhelming thought and like there Mm. is science behind it and not everyone has that science-based mind. So you need to be able to tell a story in in like a clear way that people understand. One other thing I think we see is that posts and content that do well online Mm. tend to be because they're – they're, they're super engaging often because they're super dramatic, they're super negative, they're super upsetting. Like that's the kind of content that firstly, like these platforms have been designed, like they're designed around outrage, they're designed to yeah. sort of like play on those instincts. I know we've sort of talked about this a bit, but curious to get your thoughts on how do you think about finding that balance between content that sort of gets people angry and gets people sharing it because ultimately part of our goal is to like reach new people, but also balancing that out with like, the positive and optimistic stories that we need to tell for people to kind of feel good about how they're interacting with the movement. Yeah. I mean, on any given day, there's going to be hundreds of negative stories about the impacts that we're experiencing of climate change and like any other sustainability issue for that matter. So it is really easy to like cling on to those stories to tell. But I think it's really, really important to balance it. Like people do feel dread, even if I'm not interacting with them as often as I should be. (laughs) And like, we need to be able to show the stories and like give 
voices to people that are actively doing things to try Mm. and make our planet better for the future generations for us that need to live here for the next however many years 70 years oh god that makes me think about our life expectancies (laughs) like i'm so scared i mean (laughs) scary stuff i guess it's it's interesting and i think like we are trying to be on the right side of history in terms of like making climate stories fun and engaging so i mean i hope people think that way about us (laughs) (laughs) we'll jump on to our next thought we had do you want to introduce this one Yeah, I think like, as you mentioned at the start, we've been having so many conversations with people over the past month, just like interacting with the community of people working in sustainability and climate change and media. And we've been talking a lot about individual versus collective action. And I think it kind of goes off that doom thing, like people really cling to the idea that as an individual, they can't have an impact. And so if they can't, then why should they bother trying? Mm. Let's tell everyone, like, what are your thoughts on that idea? (laughs) And we'll go from there. Yeah. So it's funny when I first started doing Project Planet stuff and my whole kind of thing was setting out to be like, if someone comes to me and says, what can I do to help? What do I tell them? Because that was sort of what I wanted to answer. I wanted to have some kind of resource that was like, what is the thing you can do to help? And Mm. when I first started thinking about it, I did. I really thought about it as individual actions and systemic actions. And those two were quite separate. And interestingly, we were sort of prompted about this because we we both listened to a podcast where they kind of talked about, you know, individual versus systemic. And it's something that I think my thinking has changed a lot on in the last 12 months in particular in that Mm. individual actions are actually, individual actions, things like cutting out meat from your diet, taking the bus, doing things like that. They're actually impactful. Yes, because they impact CO2, but as we kind of know, your carbon footprint is a concept that was essentially created by the fossil fuel industry to make you feel guilty for doing things while they continue to burn fossil fuels for energy um, and suppress climate science research on global warming. Um, So we are not feeling guilty about that. That is not an energy we are taking into 2023. But the reason these individual impacts are really important is because they are communicators to other people. So if you're at a dinner party, I was at a lunch yesterday, someone had the vegetarian option. We kind of got chatting, you know, just about the impact of meat. And that's something that has a flow on effect, whether or not that changes somebody else to cut out food or whether it just starts them thinking more about climate and acting on that in other ways, it has a chain effect. So individual actions are actually most important because they are part of a system. And equally, systems are made up of individuals as, you know, sometimes overwhelming as that can feel, you know, the obviously the best example of that is our democracy. We are really lucky to live in a democracy here in Australia. That's obviously not the case all around the world. We all have a vote. We all choose our government. And that is a huge responsibility and also a real honor and something we should be really grateful for. And yet also <laughs> it's our right. <laughs> and so I think both like the systems are made up of people, whether you work, you know, even in your work, you might work for a brand. Like people often say, oh, you know, brands and businesses need to do better. Well, Who's made up of brands and businesses? Yeah. So I think we're sort of, I don't know, I'm definitely starting to think of it less as individual versus collective and more this idea that we exist in, it's so intertwined, right? We exist in a community. We exist with other people and therefore everything is inherently systemic and therefore whatever you do as an individual is important because it interacts 
with other people. That was a good long monologue for you. <laughs> Always a monologue from you, Lizzie. <laughs> no, I totally agree. And I think there are things that you can do to have an impact. And I think that trying to do the ones that make sense for you, that that you sort of have a passion for, like that's important. And again, like it starts conversations and that's at the end of the day, what's important. And it goes back to the article before it's telling a story and the way that you like make small changes in your life. It's all a part of like the story of your life, which mm. you share with your community. And like, yeah. hopefully those small conversations that you have snowball and, and become something bigger. And then, yeah, I think it's, I just think it's important. And I hate, like, I do really hate when people say that they can't have an impact because I don't know if it's because we're like so embedded within this sort of industry that I feel like, like I, I'm always thinking about the different actions I take. Like I've started driving to work, which I hate. And I think about it every morning when I get in the car, but I'm like, <laughs> at this point, like my Opal every week is so expensive and it's like literally two kilometers or like three kilometers from where I live mm. to where I work. And if I'm paying more a week on my Opal card than I am for petrol, like at the same time, we're in a cost of living crisis. Like I need to think yeah. about my bank account and like that sucks. But then if I have made the decision to drive my car a bit more often, like where in my life can I try and reduce my impact elsewhere? Mm. And like, then I have these conversations with people and we talk about it. I think that's such a good point. I mean, I think the thing that I would firstly say to everyone is like, someone's like, what can I do? I would always say vote with climate as your number one issue. That's always number one. And second, I think now my second one is probably get involved with a climate organization and do something that connects you with other people. But irrespective of that, I think you raise an interesting point. Like in a way, the best thing you can do is what's the easiest thing for you to do. Like push where there's the least resistance. Like you don't need to make this hard. You don't need to change your whole life. Like you can do a lot, like find that. So it's like that 80, 20 rule, right? Like, you know, 80, 20% effort and 80% of the output, find the things in your life that you can easily make a change on. I hate guilt as a feeling. I will not be made to feel guilty <laughs> about this stuff. And so I think that would, what would you say to people? Interesting. I, um, I went out for dinner with some of my family and their friends the other night. And I mean, it's always a bit difficult going, like I go into those dinners, like kind of knowing that at some point we're going to talk about Project Planet or we're going to talk about climate change and they don't necessarily have the same viewpoint as what I do, which is a shame. And like, I hope that I'm like slowly working away at them, but people believe what they want to believe. And I got asked that, what am I meant to do? Like, what is the one thing I can do to reduce my impact? And I'm like, it's not an easy question to answer because mm. like, I mean, climate change and reducing your carbon footprint, even though it's a bit controversial, like your personal carbon footprint, whatever, whatever, that's one issue within sustainability. Like, and that might not be what you're passionate about. You might be passionate about reducing plastic waste. And if that's what you want to do and you want to reduce the waste in your home, like pull your efforts towards that. Like at the end, mm. end of the day, everything that people are doing within sustainability, which is such a broad topic area, is working towards making tomorrow and the day after and the decades to come a better place to live. And I think like finding your passion 
within the sustainability movement is what's most important. And again, that comes like, you're never going to find your passion without talking to people around you, talking to your community and finding out like the avenues that are out there available for you to be mm-hmm. able to like make changes in your life. Great points. Very, very aligned. And I guess that brings us into our kind of like third, the discussion point for the pod, which is like, how, how do we in the climate movement keep the momentum going? I think, there was, I think both sort of Tegan and I kind of got particularly engaged in climate after the country was on fire in 2019-20. Unfortunately, obviously, you know, natural disasters are often a time where people do really sort of wake up to the impacts of this. And that was something where, you know, I went from being the kind of person that was like, oh yeah, like, you know, I want to help, I want to do a bit on climate change to being like, okay, better <laughs> if I do one thing in life, I guess it has to be trying to stop this, trying to stop this stuff. So I think that in a way generated its own kind of strange momentum through a really negative event. Last year with the federal election was an amazing kind of coordinated event by climate organizations and community groups across the country um, to really, you know, I think you looked at the media coverage in sort of mainstream media and climate was barely mentioned. And yet when you look at how people voted and you look at the candidates that did well, the parties that did well, I think it's pretty clear. And you looked at a lot of the sort of exit polling it's incredibly clear that climate was a massive issue and that was a real kind of momentum building moment that obviously, you know, was very exciting. Tag and I bumped into each other at the unicorn partying after. We loved that. <laughs> oh my gosh. I always forget that. And when you bring it up again, I'm like, we it's are my so favorite iconic. story. I just think it's, it was sort of as we were, I was trying to, con- well, it was actually before I convinced Tegan to join me in Project Planet. So it kind of feels to me like our origin story. Like it was meant to be, you know? Like- 100%. In 10 years time, we'll go to the unicorn for our like anniversary. Oh, please. <laughs> we will be so old there. It'll be incredible. I hope the floor are still sticky but I'm keen to get your thoughts 2023 we're look it's January doesn't count we're starting the year now ish how do we keep the momentum going how are you thinking about personally for yourself and broadly in the movement how do we find that energy that momentum to kind of keep showing up every day and doing whatever we can to stop climate change At the point I'm at right now, I think that what's keeping me going personally is, and I just keep going back to it, it's having conversations with people. It's like meeting new people, whether they are working within climate change or in sustainability or not, like just talking to people about it and getting their sort of thoughts and getting like a broader understanding of like the community that I have around me. Like what are they talking about? What are the issues they're facing? And like, I guess finding ways that I can help them or make things easier for them. Like that's what's kind of keeping me going personally. It's weird. I, I know there probably will come a time in my career where I'll be like quite jaded around this. Like I know when I was at uni, <laughs> like when I was studying my masters, it's so funny. Like I had the most incredible lecturers, but the way that they spoke about like climate change, like having worked in like science and in research for decades was like incredibly jaded. And like, I completely understand because like, especially scientists and researchers, they've been like 
telling their story in the best way that they have found that they they can, which unfortunately isn't a way that a marketer would tell a story. So it's not necessarily getting that like cut, same cut through. Very but, like, on brand by us though also to tell me like, well, who's going to fix the world? Obviously marketers. <laughs> <laughs> but like it comes down to the fact that like we, like our skill is telling a story. Like our yeah. skill is selling a product basically, which I hate. And like, that's why I decided the product shift. we will now sell is saving the world yeah exactly it's why i decided to shift my energy into like using communications for like a positive and like to help people and like have an impact and like try and tell the stories that haven't been able to be told very well keeping the momentum in the climate movement as a whole going it comes from surrounding yourself with a community that has that same drive and we have found that with our project planet volunteers i found that in the conversations we've had with people in the past month knowing that people care so much about this just like lights a fire inside of me and which hot but like that's I don't know I just like I love the human connection around this and the the drive that people have for wanting to make the world a better place and that's I think that's what what it is for me it's why when people come to me and I tell them to get involved with the group because I think Mm. it's hard you know what like it's hard going at it alone like what do you do yeah, I love vegan food. I love my tofu. But you know what I also love? Beef brisket. Occasionally, <laughs> I love a beef brisket. I'm going to put it out here on the pod. The world knows. I'm not going to hide Lizzie, it. Lizzie, I'm ready to cancel you. <laughs> I might be cancelled for this. No, you know no, no, no. It's so delicious. And, like, I'm just not really willing to give that up. And I'm not going to sit there every night and watch my friends eat the foods that I want to eat. So sometimes, like, stuff on your own, even if we talked about, as we talked about before, that individual action sparks conversations, you're still the one that's having to kind of cop it. The bus. I love the bus. Sometimes the bus is really annoying, but being in a group, being in an organization is just like, it's volunteering for a couple of hours a week, whatever it is, quitting your job to start something that pays you less than your job and just, you know, living your best life like we're doing. Kidding guys, we're fine. That connection, as you said, I'm just exactly echoing what you've just said. And I totally agree that both that's the thing that keeps me going. And that's what I always say to other people that is the thing they should try and find. I think as a collective taking a step back to kind of like the climate movement as a whole. One thing that I think is really important is that we start getting better at telling climate change stories in a more intersectional way. And I mean that both in terms of the people that are telling the stories, you know, the messengers of that, there's obviously the sort of classic intersectionality in terms of how that intersects with climate justice and racial issues and gender issues. And that's really important, you know, huge I mean, the biggest sort of issue in climate is the huge, huge disparity between who has caused the problem and who will suffer the impacts of the problem. But it's equally about how do we talk about climate change and link it to the cost of living crisis? Like one thing that I think is crazy that isn't really in the discussion right now is, you know, what would be like last year when petrol prices shot up, you know, when that won't be a problem, when everybody has electric cars or we have a better built out public transport system, like Let's be real, the sun is not going to be held hostage by a war on the other side of the world or by poorly designed export policies around our natural gas. Like there's so many ways to tie climate change stories into the stories of the day that I don't think we always do sort of I say broadly as a movement. I think it's easy to be siloed. It's easy to think, okay, we've got to talk about climate. This is a climate story, but everything's a climate story. Everything's a climate story. Exactly. And we've got to figure out how to, how to link that in, how to tell those stories and align that as much as possible. Because exactly as you said, like 
you're going to take the, you're going to drive your car if it's cheaper than taking the bus. Like that's not something that, you know, like you're dealing with intersecting crises essentially then between like a cost of living and also climate. And so you can't ignore both of those things. Like people have very legitimate concerns. People are finding it tough right now with inflation this year, obviously. And I saw some number about the amount of people who are going to be hit by increases to their mortgage this year on a certain date where the fixed interest rate is going to cut off. Like that's really tough for people. And you know what people are not thinking about? How do I eat less meat in my diet? They're thinking about how do I pay my bills? And so I think it's tying climate into all of that in a sort of broad narrative as always comes back to stories. And I think that's the only way that we're going to be able to really keep it front and center because it is hard. Like the goals are less kind of clear in a way there's no, in Australia, at least, you know, there's now no, like the electoral pathways are more confusing. Like, is it now that we need more greens in parliament is that we need to figure out how to pressure the coalition to have a better stance on climate. Like we kind of need all of these things maybe, but the pathway is no longer like, it's not a one side or the other question and it's murkier. And so I think it's about everything working together, everything building up, teamwork, making the dream work really, I guess would be my summary. A hundred percent. And I think I am so excited for what our podcast has to bring over the next few months, because we are going to be talking to people working within the climate space, within sustainability and we're going to be hearing different stories and giving people voices and hearing different perspectives on the way that like this, like all of these intersections coincide and like collide in, in their lives as well. And like what brought them into the climate movement and like, hopefully again, everything comes back to stories. Like we're trying to tell them in cool ways, like, and give people platforms that might not otherwise have them. And so, yeah, it's just like, I'm so excited for what we, we have to share this year. It's going to be great. I am also so excited. I'm excited because Tegan is like forcing me to actually do work on Project Planet that I was a bit psychic when my personal life collapsed last year for a minute. And it has actually just been, again, other people. It all comes back. But Tegan, what does that, our, our call to action for the episode? You're trying to wrap me up. You're trying to be like, Lizzie, we've heard enough of your voice. I get it. I get it. <laughs> no cool so yeah like as always we want to key a leave uh, a call to action at the end to give people something that they can do straight away that has an impact going alongside our very self-serving conversational episode the call to action is share around our podcast like i'm so so excited to share other people's stories like it's not always just us chatting to each other like there are other people out there and we're going to be interviewing them we're going to be learning how to interview people at the same time like it's just everyone's learning together everyone everyone's trying to figure out what the hell they're doing in the world and like it's cool we're gonna we're gonna go along for the ride come along <laughs> with us you can say you were like an og like my one of my proudest achievements is that i was in the she's on the money facebook group when i had 200 people before victoria nice. divine launched the podcast like i was i'm sorry i was one of the first she's on the money listeners and i will take that to the grave so that's here's your opportunity i'm obviously in this implicitly pitching that we will become as successful as them i would love that and i think you should be an early adopter too so share oh, it with your 100%. friends 100 percent. it's manifesting send you virtual high fives send us a message <laughs> let us know you've said like tag us in your instagram stories tell us you shared it i don't know what we'll give you in return except for like a lot of love and potentially friendship as we have some slots open for new friends so happy to take applications always amazing cool well i don't know what episode will be next but i'm sure it'll be very exciting lovely to chat with you and just to kick off our new year talk to you soon bye bye